Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We'll get this episode started right away. I had the great opportunity to speak with Cheryl Blanchard. She is CEO of Annika Therapeutics, and we'll learn about how Annika Therapeutics is expanding its portfolio and increasing its market opportunity in the joint preservation space. Before we go there, though, we'll have our Newmarker's Newsmakers. Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Mass Device, will join us. We also have a visit from Danielle Kirsch. She is Senior Editor at Mass Device. And she and Associate Editor Sean Hooley have launched a new podcast called Fast Five. She'll talk about that. In this episode, it's something you'll certainly want to subscribe to. A few housekeeping notes. There'll be no device talks weekly next week. Uh, I'm taking next week off. I'll explain why in the podcast. So next week, you will have a uh, Medtronic Talks podcast coming through the Medtronic Talks channel. So I hope you're subscribed to that. And then on Friday, we will send out in Intuitive Talks. And uh, as I'll explain in the podcast, we will also send out some uh, episodes of Fast Five so you can get a taste of it. You should receive one on uh, mon- uh, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, and Friday morning. And I know you'll like what you hear and you'll be able to subscribe to that. Danielle will give those details in this podcast. So uh, that's it, folks. So uh, you'll hear from me in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's Memorial Day weekend. I hope those of you who have lost someone who is serving our country in the military find uh, peace and uh, and solace and comfort this weekend. Let's get this podcast started. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, Tom. Doing well. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I'll be uh, be taking next week off, so uh, very nice. excited to be uh, spending some time with the family and uh, going to my uh, my oldest son's graduation. So it should be oh, that's uh, awesome. Very cool week. High, high school graduation. So oh my gosh, very excited. Time flies flies by. You must be like, what? It was probably yesterday. He was just like, uh, you know, like like three feet tall and running around the house. <laughs> you get some flashbacks. You still, still see the little guy in there, but uh, not oh. very happy for him as, as he moves on. So uh, congrats, man. Thanks. Awesome. Congrats to him. So uh, you deserve so, the time off too after, I mean, wow, that the device talks Boston was a whirlwind. I mean, so it was a great, Great show. So, well, I appreciate well, well that. deserved time, man. I appreciate that. I'll enjoy the lawn mowing and the house cleaning and all that goes wrong. Yes. Getting the house ready for company to come over. But yeah. we are uh, here today. We've got uh, we've got a little competition in the podcast department, Chris Newarker. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> Very cool. Joining us is Danielle Kirsch, senior editor of Mass Device and uh, the creator of the new Fast Five Mass Device podcast. Danielle, uh, good to have you back on the podcast. I'm glad to be here. So, uh, tell us a bit about the about Fast Five and uh, and what what uh, sparked you to create it, and uh, tell us a little bit about the podcast itself. So, the Fast Five is just a news podcast, a daily news podcast, where myself and my co-host Sean Hooley, who is on a well-deserved Ireland vacation this That's week, That's right. Yes, um, we go through the news every day and just give a little bit of insights into what's going on in the medtech industry. We were kind of inspired by just the sheer number of stories that we have on the website every day. And just the the industry is really dynamic. So 
we really wanted to cover the whole industry and just give all of the industry professionals sort of a roundup to end their day or even to start their day just so they know what's going on in the industry. So your process is you uh, you sort through the stories, the top store, all the stories on, on Mass Device today and, and pick the top five based upon uh, interest from readers or just sort of your your expert sense of uh, of what the impact will be in the industry? The impact that the stories would have on the industry. Mm-hmm. So far, a lot of the news that we've covered has been robotic surgery or there's been a lot of diabetes news. We've had some legal news that does really well all the time on Mass Device and since those kinds of stories really resonate with our readers and the influencers in this industry, we kind of want to cover those more on the podcast. That's great. And you guys do a great job. You have a nice rapport. Uh, you're very, very well informed. I, I really get a lot out of the, the time, uh, the, the time I listen and, and you, you intentionally, you're, you're trying to keep it short. The fast five, the number five relates to the number of items you're talking about, but uh, what's the, what's the typical length of, of the fast five podcast? Right now we're averaging 12 minutes a podcast. Mm-hmm. So we we try so, to keep it really short and sweet, get to the point. So you can either be done with your commute or go on yep. and listen to another daily news podcast. So that's a, a dog walk, uh, cleaning the dishes, uh, lots of little kind of pocket time, pieces of time there where you can get, get up to date on what, what's happened in the medical device industry. That's really cool. Yeah, thank you. We're having a really good time. We're having fun doing it. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun listening to you. And yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's just a really good, you know, sometimes people just don't have time to like go to a news website like Mass Device and, you know, look up articles. But, you know, as you said, Tom, like you know, walking the dog or going to the gym or, you know, taking a quick drive somewhere, you know, it's a, it's a great chance just to, you know, catch up on, you know, the news uh, in this industry. And yeah, and Danielle, I can tell you and Sean are having a lot of fun. It's really cool. And, and we're, you're, when are you, when are the, the new episodes going out? When, uh, when are you pushing the, the button, uh, on, on the posting site and, uh, and sending out to folks? Is it the first thing in the morning or, or at the end of the day? You can join us every Tuesday through Friday at 8 a.m. on all podcast platforms. You can also read a synopsis of the episode at massdevice.com slash podcast. That's where every morning at 8 a.m. we post the podcast episode so you can get a rundown, just short blurbs of what we're talking about. But also you can listen to the the podcast on the Mass Device website if you're sitting at your computer at your desk in your office or something like that. And we're going to put out, uh, we're, we'll, next week, we're going to have a, a, a change of, uh, of sequence and podcast because partly because I'm on vacation. We'll have uh, a Medtronic Talks go out on its own channel. We'll have an Intuitive Talks come out on the Device Talks podcast network. And we're also going to send out on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the Fast Five. So each morning, we'll send that out through the Device Talks Podcast Network. But once folks sort of get a feel for it and, and get addicted to it, how do they uh, how do they subscribe to it? Where, where can they go to make sure they get that podcast in their uh, on their phone or their listening device every Tuesday through Friday? You can go to massdevice.com slash podcast. There you will find the trailer episode. You can find any of the prior episodes. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, you name it, we're we're on there, just Mass Device Fast Five. And you can also connect with me or Sean on LinkedIn. We're posting about the podcast every day. Um, the other thing about the Mass Device posts is if you are reading it on a computer and you would 
rather have the podcast on your phone, I've included a really convenient QR code that you can just scan with your phone and it'll automatically take you to whatever podcast platform that you prefer. So, Super smart. That's so great. Chris, Chris Newmarker, what, what are we asking them to do, Chris Newmarker? They got to like, follow, subscribe. There it is. There it is. Now, now they have two things they need to like, follow, and or subscribe to. Like, so, uh, like, follow, subscribe, fast five. There we go. <laughs> and Device Talks Weekly. And Device Talks Weekly. So, uh, yeah. So, we'll have those go out through the Device Talks Weekly podcast uh, next week, uh, next Monday. Uh, sorry, next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then, uh, folks, make sure you subscribe to the uh, Fast Five channel uh, on its own, so you'll you won't miss a future episode of that. And it's really great. It's a great way to get again up to date on what's happening in the in the industry. It's really quick. Like I said, a dog walk, doing the dishes, whatever it takes ten to twelve minutes. You can uh, you can get up to date in that time. So uh, great job with that, Danielle. It's, it sounds fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Just want to note that Sean Hooley is out next week. My my regular co-host. So. Chris Newmarker, who I'm sure we're going to hear from next, will be my guest co-host. So oh, okay. He's going to wow. be he's going to be yeah. bringing his newsmarkers, newsmakers expertise to the Fast Five every day. So, but I'm going to make them yeah do it real quick. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we won't go off on tangents like Tom and I do. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. It'll be really fun. Oh, that's great. I didn't realize. That's right. That makes sense that Sean won't be around next week. But that's a, I think that'll be a good bridge for our Device Talks Weekly podcast listeners. They'll hear that that even more familiar Chris Newmarker tone. So they'll get to they'll get a sense of what the, the show is about. And then they'll have the, the, the first starting squad back uh, the following week when Sean Hooley's back from uh, from his vacation. So fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of uh, Newmarker's newsmakers, Daniel, I think you're going to uh, sit in with us. Feel free to contribute as much as you want to. Uh, but Chris, let's run quickly through uh, this week's New Markers Newsmakers. The New Markers Newsmakers. Well, number uh, five today, uh, we're, we're talking on Friday morning, and this is uh, news that just came out, uh, is that uh, Neuralink, um, Neuralink sent out a tweet last night. Uh, go go figure. Their, uh, their owner <laughs> uh, pretty much owns Twitter. So they, they put out a tweet last night saying that they're excited to share that they've received the FDA's approval to launch uh, their uh, first in-human clinical study. So Neuralink's saying that the uh, FDA has uh, given them a green light to, uh, you know, begin human clinical, you know, studies of their uh, brain-computer interface. Um, I... Uh, Actually, just a few minutes ago, got a curious answer from the. Uh, oh wait, let's see here. Um, oh, the FDA said this just You know, it, it. The FDA really didn't answer anything. They said the FDA acknowledges and understands that Neuralink has announced <laughs> that its investigational device exemption robot you know, uh, was approved by the FDA and it may now begin conducting human clinical trials for this device. And uh, I, uh, I wrote back their public affairs just saying, like, just checking, did the FDA approve this? And I just got a response saying that the statement below is all the information we're able to share. Very. Well, maybe that's Well, consistent. that is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's consistent. Maybe they would give you the same answer to any medical device company that's True. announcing. That could uh, just be their protocol for anybody. Yeah, is- yep. Saying that they've you know got an okay for a clinical trial, but but anyway, it looks uh, yeah, you know, Neuralink's Neuralink's saying they're going to be uh, you know starting uh, human clinical trials, and more details are coming. So it's uh, it's definitely a 
pretty exciting space right now. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, on top of what Neuralink's trying to do, I mean, what you got, you know, BlackRock Neurotech has actually been around for a long time, and they've got their uh, really uh, cool Neuralace implant that's you know really really thin that you could it's pretty much like a piece of lace that you could you know put over the surface of the brain um you got synchron which is you know doing like a catheter delivered um you know brain computer interface which you know that that's uh that that seems pretty useful because you know there's there's a lot of experience at this point delivering devices and stat like things through the vasculature so that you know that could that could potentially work well and synchron has you know some money from um from people like Jeff Bezos. So, so, so obviously there's some, some people with, with money who think they've got something good going on. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting space. We'll see what, what happens next. There's also a company in California called Onward that we've covered this week that has completed its own first inhuman use of implantable lead devices to restore movement in people with paralysis. So it's definitely an interesting space. Uh, you have in the article or whoever, this was a, yeah, it was a Chris Newmarker special. Uh, Reuters had reported previously that the FDA had, the FDA had previously rejected a Neuralink application for trials in 2022. So looks like uh, yeah. they've done whatever they need to do to move forward. So, uh, all right. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, cool tech. We'll see where it goes. Cool tech. We'll see. I mean, I know, uh, you know, Musk was doing a show until late last year where he was like, have cut it like, joking that he might get that you know get one implanted himself we'll, we'll see if uh if elon tries his own implants so you know that could be uh could be fun sounds like a, a plot line for a uh, an origin story for a superhero or some kind so <laughs> just just put it in me just put it in me we got to prove yeah. that this works elon wants to make the iron man movies a reality <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move on to number four. Oh my god all right, number four on the list. Uh, we have uh, like some new a new study out from uh, Abbott about their uh, cardio men, mems HF system. Um, this was a uh, you know study, uh, a European study that uh, you know found uh, that it you know resulted in a forty four percent reduction in uh, heart failure hospitalizations. Um, I mean, just nearly halved the the hospitalizations among the uh, heart failure patients in the study that were uh, you know using it um it also uh you know it also you know found like a, a improvement in you know patient reported quality of life scores so just just more evidence that you know this this uh kind of paper clip size implantable device that you know remotely monitors the pulmonary artery pressure um you know and, and sends data to uh you know to to health prov- shares the data with the health providers you know is uh, you know, like, you know, it, you know, appears to be catching things early and, you know, helping to, you know, keep people with heart failure out of the, out of the hospital. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's, uh, some, some powerful, uh, powerful data there. And, uh, you know, Abbott actually just two months ago had a, you know, meta analysis of three randomized control trials. And that, that analysis was saying they could significantly reduce the risk of death from, from heart failure. So, so just, uh, yeah, some really, um, Really neat data out, out from Abbott, and I got to add, we've had we've been on, on mass device over the past week or so. We've had a ton of articles off uh, clinical studies about cardiovascular devices because we just had a HRS uh, 2023 in uh, New Orleans. Uh, you know, Sean was just like you know cranking out those articles, and, and Danielle, you did a great job just taking all that reporting that Sean had and like 
wrapping that together in a really good, really good roundup, you know, that uh, people can check out on a uh, mass device and our sister sites, you know, to, you know, find out all this like an interesting news that came out in the, in the cardio space. I think this news serves as a testament to the continuous advances in medical technology that are improving the lives of patients and even transforming the field of cardiology Um, just by effectively managing and reducing hospitalizations. It can improve patient outcomes. Great stuff. Now, and and will I talk to uh, you quoted Dr. Again, I'll have to look at the article. Was this another Chris Newmarker? Yes, it was. Uh, I talked to Philip Adamson, Dr. Philip Adamson. Stay busy this week, Tom. Yeah, no kidding, huh? Yeah. Uh, the Divisional Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of the Heart Failure Division in Abbott, and uh, Dr. Christopher Piarski, who's Divisional Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of Electrophysiology uh, at Abbott Cardiovascular. I talked with them both for the first Abbott Talks podcast, which will be coming out uh, later in June. So Fantastic. We'll, we'll talk, we certainly will cover more of CardioMems on that podcast. All right, Chris Newmarker, great news from uh, Abbott. Let's move on to number three, uh, a little less great news, unfortunately. Yeah, um, you know, this was, um, and unfortunately we have, you know, more uh, more medtech, uh, you know, layoffs to, to report. Uh, these were uh, off of layoff notices in California. We had uh, both uh, Cala Health and Q Health recently, uh, you know, filed uh, filed notices. I mean, Cala, which, uh, you know, we've... Uh, you know, we even had uh, you know, one of their their founder at uh, Device Talks West. You know, they, uh, you know, they're a neuromodulation tech developer. They they laid off 107, you know, employees, and uh, we had, uh, you know, um, you know, we had a, uh, you know, meanwhile, like Q Health is, uh, you know, laying off uh, about 30 uh, percent of its workforce, and that's like 329 people. Um, wow. So you know, it's. Yeah, it's just it just it just seems to be where we uh, where we are right now. But I'm I'm just I'm just really hopeful that we you know don't have any any more uh, layoffs to report soon. Like it you know it, it it's it it does seem that you know the companies are getting done with what they needed to do for the year. Yeah, Not I wonder. Would. <laughs> I, I wonder. Do we know? And we had Renee Ryan, CEO Renee Ryan of Cala, on the podcast uh, as one of our guest hosts last year. Uh, she's terrific out there. Uh, do we know 107 employees? What percentage of that is their total pay- workforce? Or we don't? Looks like we don't have that. Yeah, we don't have that. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, that's unfortunate. I mean, they've obviously yeah. been making some progress. We've talked about it on the podcast before. So uh, let's see uh, how this develops. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, yeah. I mean, they've got their you know transcutaneous uh, you know taps. Basically, their taps therapy for you know, treating uh, treating tremors. So um, you know we'll. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll just see, it, see how it goes. It's definitely like a, it's just, it's just more expensive to run a business right now. And, uh, and then the med tech space, you know, there's also just, you know, companies, uh, you know, having to wrestle with all the challenges of their health provider cu- customers, um, you know, going through operational challenges, but, um, but, you know, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll and here looking, looking forward to better times. Sean and I talked about this one on the fast five as well. And we kind of concluded that, the layoffs reflect the dynamic nature of the healthcare industry and even the challenges faced by companies. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes these layoff decisions, while difficult, could position the companies for long-term sustainability and continued innovation yeah. in their respective fields. So mm-hmm. while it is disappointing, Sean made a note that there are other companies that are definitely looking for new talent. So Yeah, absolutely. Yep. 
And they've had success. And you're right. This might be just a part of the revolution. They've kind of moved through their R&D phase, and now they're moving into more of a commercial phase, and they need to add employees there and have fewer R&D folks there. You never yeah. truly let go of R&D, but, of course, but uh, it could be uh, just part of the part of the plan. But They could uh, be refocusing, like, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll find out some more information about this. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and, yeah, there definitely are companies in the medtech space that are that are hiring i mean we i mean sean actually had an article about boston scientific uh, hiring in ireland and uh the uh you know the uh the star tribune here in uh in minneapolis you know had just just had an article you know about you know how uh, boston scientific is actually one of the you know largest medtech employers around the twin cities and they've been uh you know growing uh one of their campuses here a lot over the over the past decade so so it's it's definitely uh, you know some some companies you know have set them up so, themselves up well that they're able to continue and hire and grow. Well, yeah, others need to refocus and you know and, and do what they need to do to you know to be to be ready for the future. Absolutely. All right, let us uh, let's roll onto onto number two. With Sean Hooley, you know, we're here for this. this. Is a Sean Hooley article? Another Sean article. I mean, this is uh, you know we had uh, Medtronic's uh, earnings out this week. And uh, along with the earnings, there was the big news that they're uh, they're doing another uh, you know tuck-in acquisition. They're uh, spending seven hundred thirty-eight million dollars to buy EO Flow, uh, which is a South Korea company that's got the uh, EO Patch. It's like a tubeless, wearable, fully disposable insulin delivery device that you can control with your with your smartphone. Um, you know, and this this uh, system's already been launched in Korea and Europe, and uh, and they've submitted for uh, for a clearance here in the United States. So, I mean, Medtronic's kind of making this move. Um, you know, when they made the move, the uh, stocks of competitors like Insulet and Tandem Diabetes Care in this insulin delivery space, like uh, you know, went went down on the on the day of this news. Um, you know, but uh, I mean, Med- Medtronic's had a it's it's been a challenging time for their diabetes business. I mean, they had a huge warning letter they had to work through, mm-hmm. um, and that that kind of like amid all that, that kind of all that kind of like delayed them, you know, getting their next gen mini med, you know, out to the to the U.S. market. Um, but uh, now they're through the warning letter. You know, the the, the mini med is uh, you know ready to go here in the uh, in the U.S. Now um, they they actually say that they're. The, the the pre-orders for it, you know, are exceeding expectations. I mean, it's interesting that there are analysts that were, you know, saying like Medtronic needed a self diabetes business, but um, you know, Medtronic, you know, stuck with it, and looks like they're doubling down and you know buying uh, you know, buying uh, you know, EO Flow to you know continue uh, you know, what they're you know to continue to grow, grow in the space. So you know, it's uh, well. We'll, uh, you know, like uh, Jeff Martha even had a quote during the earnings call saying, like, uh, we've not blinked when it comes to, you know, diabetes and we're shifting to offense. So mm-hmm. no, that's great. And I, yeah. and I hinted last week that we'd have a Medtronic Talks podcast coming up. We will next week. And I spoke with uh, Q Delara, who's uh, who's an executive vice president. She's head of the diabetes group there at uh, at Medtronic. And uh, we talked about the Minimed, Minimed 780G. And uh, the meal detection capabilities and how it could be uh, a real a real benefit to folks who uh, maybe want to give over control of their of their uh, disease management to uh, to an automated device and uh, gives them new new abilities to kind of just cope with the ebbs and flows that that go with, with having diabetes. And we'll also talk. Uh, we talked about the EO patch as well and the acquisition. Excuse me, the EO flow acquisition of the EO patch. So. Um, yeah. So fantastic. That'll be a great. Good listen. Yeah, we'll have that out uh, in the middle of next week. 
Sean and I also discussed this one today on today's podcast. Um, and he kind of made the same point where this acquisition kind of demonstrates Medtronic's strategic focus on expanding its portfolio of diabetes care products and its commitment to providing patients with more convenient and personalized treatment options. And he also pointed out that it's it's an interesting move that this was such a big acquisition for Medtronic, considering that the diabetes was on the chopping block for a potential spinoff just a few years ago. So it's an interesting acquisition, and we're excited to see where this goes and where Medtronic diabetes goes. It's definitely part of the reason for optimism, you know, for them. I mean, they and their stock is down this week because uh, it, it it appears that you know the investors and the analysts, you know, didn't you know thought that their growth projections could have been higher for the for the new year. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, they got this you know diabetes move, which you know, I mean, they, they look like they're priming themselves for, for growth there. Um, they had uh, you know a, a lot of good news to report in their pipeline, especially in the pulse field ablation space. I think they're 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 saying they think they're going to be one of the first on the U.S. market with pulse field ablation tech. So um, so let, let's you know they the Medtronic officials were saying that their you know guidance for the year was like prudent. Um, let, let's here here's to hoping it exceeds expectations. You know we'll we'll, we'll see uh, see some growth more growth in this year. All right, good stuff, Chris Newmarker. Let's roll on to number one in the Newmarker's Newsmakers. Number one, less, and you know, this was a surprise, but it's the most read uh, story on uh, Mass Device this week. Um, is uh, and it makes sense actually. I mean, FDA approved um, a uh, a Zoll therapy for uh, for sleep apnea that can, you know with MRI. Um, they're uh, they're they're. Uh, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. So the Remed system, and it's like a pacemaker-like, you know, device. You know, treats sleep, sleep apnea. Um, n- not exactly sure how it d- differentiates, but um, it, it reminds me a bit of kind of like Inspire medical medical therapy, and like overall kind of like that same type of idea that you got a pacemaker-like device that you know goes in and you know, provides uh, you know neurostem to to treat sleep apnea. The uh, this this uh, Remed system is you know it, it, it provides implantable transvenous uh, phrenic nerve stimulation therapy. Um, but um, you know and, and getting uh, getting an MRI, the ability to do um, MRI scanning that just it just expands the the availability of it. I mean, this was initially approved in 2017 by the FDA, but um, but it's just uh, just just neat news, you know, like more options for people with sleep apnea. I mean, it's it's, it's definitely affects millions of people. Fantastic! No, it's, it's good to see new new technology brought in here. Danielle, anything to to add? Um, Sean and I also talked about this. We're getting scooped a lot, Chris <laughs> Newmarker. Good guy. All yeah, right. Sorry to bring it up. You already talked about it. <laughs> We're the weekly people. I see how it goes. Danielle and Sean. So what did Sean you people. say about it, Danielle? We kind of made an inference that it's always good to see sleep apnea treatment, especially as we continue to see the effects of the Phillips recall. So any kind of innovation that goes with sleep apnea, even MRI, is is good. It it demonstrates the importance of addressing the unique needs of patients and even optimizing uh, optimizing their healthcare experience. Yeah, amen to that. Good point. All right. Great stuff. Well, clearly, folks, you should be listening to the Fast Five podcast. And Chris Newmarker, we're going to have to work harder to make sure we're bringing some original insights to the, to the Newmarker's newsmakers. We're getting... Uh, 
getting beat by Sean and, and Danielle. How to bring Newmarker surprises. I mean, it came up. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> but did you know? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, great That's stuff. Awesome. Uh, once again, uh, Danielle, so folks can subscribe to, the, should they look for Fast Five or Mass Device? What should they look for on their podcast You player? could probably find us easier using Mass Device, but Mass Device Fast Five works just as well. I mean, we, we're on all podcast mm-hmm. platforms. Any podcast podcast platform that you can think of, we're on there. And uh, again, you'll, you'll get new episodes every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning. So uh, great way to uh, great way to start your day and uh, and wow your friends with your med technology. Well, Cheryl Blanchard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Nice to be here. Excited to learn about Annika. We were just talking. We're we're both Boston area folks, so uh, it's nice to know there's uh, 350 fellow med techers in the area doing good work. So uh, love to hear their story or the company story in a moment. But uh, let's first learn a little bit about you. How did you uh, first find your way into the medical device industry and what drew you here? Yeah, it's a great question. I often get comments that it must look like I I curated my career, but it was just the opposite. I just kept doing things that I found interesting. So I started out as an engineer and took my engineering degree and got a job for a company that was working in the defense industry and didn't love what I was doing when I got up every day, which entailed not putting people together. And I decided I'd rather find a way to do something to put people together. And it was actually before there was really a a track for biomedical engineering. So I kind of found my way there. I was working for a company called Southwest Research Institute, and we started a collaboration with the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. Oh. And I was able to really move my my engineering thinking into, at the time, biomaterials, the early days of tissue engineering. And I actually, while I worked and, and collaborated with the Health Science Center, I was an adjunct professor there. I also completed a master's and a PhD in engineering. So I kind of came at it from the R&D side of life. I I then pursued a career really focused on the research and development aspects of the biomedical space. And then I went to Zimmer, now Zimmer Biomap, but it was Zimmer at the days that I was there and spent 12 years there really launching a whole bunch of products and starting their early intervention biologics business and eventually running that. I was the chief scientific officer, ran a business, was on the executive team there and learned a ton and had had a blast. And then after that, I left and I ran an early stage venture-backed drug delivery company that was focused in metabolic diseases and women's health and sold that in late 2019 and was actually on the Annika board at the time hmm. and stepped into the CEO role after sadly the incumbent passed away unexpectedly and kind of threw my hat in the ring for that process. And here I am. Interesting. So just unpacking your experience at Zimmer, paint us a picture as to what, what was Zimmer like at the time? I mean, clearly it was already an orthopedics and orthopedics leader at the time, but there's a lot of change that happened in that time period. It would be about like in the early 2000s, right? Well, yes. Yeah. I joined in 2000. So yep. I joined actually when we were still part of Bristol-Myers Squibb. So that oh, takes wow. us back, okay. back a few years. <laughs> and I joined just as we were spinning out of Bristol-Myers. So I was there as we went public as an independent public company. 
and then was there through a series of acquisitions that really grew the company, the biggest piece of which was the Center Pulse acquisition, which I was a very active participant in, allowed me to really cut my teeth on what it means to acquire companies, to integrate companies, to integrate teams. And at the same time, really accelerating the R&D pipeline on all fronts across all the businesses that Zimmer had, which at the time was, was really very broad. They've since shed a couple of those businesses, but really driving innovation and understanding how to address unmet need in the orthopedic industry. It was, a, it was an exciting time to be at the company. I believe that. And your time at the startup, Microchips, was that the Microchips out of Bob Langer's lab or is that? It, it was. It oh, was wow. The okay. same. So Microchips Biotech was the name of the company and it was a very interesting drug delivery platform, yeah. implantable based on a microchip platform and allows for very long acting drug delivery that you can activate and deactivate transcutaneously. And we sold the company to a, a public company called Dare Bioscience, which is a women's health company. And they continue to develop the platform as a long-acting reversible contraceptive, which we were working on at the time I was running it. Did you remain with the company at all after the acquisition by Dare? I joined the Dare board, mm -hmm. okay. which I am still on today. So Interesting. So was being a CEO, a startup CEO... Or CEO of any type. Was that always part of the plan? Or again, is this part of the just the you look for the next interesting challenge in, in building your career? Long ago and far away, the CEO that hired me into Zimmer, Ray, Ray Elliott, it's a name many will recognize in the med tech space. He was an amazing CEO to work for. And he told me a long time ago, we're going to give you the opportunities here to develop because I, I really think you need to be a CEO someday. So I feel wow. very fortunate that I had somebody kind of watching out for my development as it, it would need to have happened. People don't become CEOs by accident or overnight. So I feel fortunate that he really invested in me and, and developed me along that pathway. On the other hand, I didn't, didn't always know that was where I wanted to head. The opportunity arose and I felt like it was something I wanted to try and I did and I liked it. And so here I am on round two. Wow. It's interesting. You immediately points to that moment that you, you've got that uh, endorsement or encouragement from a leader of yours. Have you internalized that and in how you deal with others? Because it can be a very powerful moment for someone to have someone who's achieved something like that say, you know, you can do this someday. It can open up a lot of doors and, and shine a lot of light on things one person may be able to do. Absolutely. It definitely informs how I lead and think about developing people, especially on the senior leadership team, because I do think that people often need to be encouraged, shown the way and, and told what the opportunities are for them, because it's not always obvious. It was never obvious to me. Mm -hmm. So it was something that absolutely made a difference having somebody invest in you and kind of tell you how this all works and, and where it can head. So it informs how I lead and how I develop folks. Interesting. I'm glad it worked out and and uh, and, and he was right. So good, <laughs> good good for him for having the vision. So let's talk about about Annika. So yeah. I mean it's one of those companies that I have to confess. I know the name. I'm like, oh yeah, Annika. And then you ask me what does it do? I'm like, orthopedic. And then I kind of so it's a company that's been around that I know the name, but I'm not really completely familiar with the portfolio and I'm just being upfront. That's so right. I'm guessing someone else listening to this probably is thinking, yeah, me too. So let's talk a bit about Annika. What is your overarching focus? And then we'll get down into your, your product pipeline, high-level product portfolio overview. 
Yeah. And uh, let me just start out with, uh, I don't think you're alone in not having great brand recognition around the Annika name. Annika has been around, we're in now our 31st year of business, which surprises a lot of people. But a lot of people don't know that Annika was the developer and continues to manufacture OrthoVisc and MonoVisc. So the company really got started with a strong technology base in hyaluronic acid. And we continue to drive a lot of innovation around that technology base, but have further expanded along the lines of joint preservation, which I'll I'll get into in a minute. So we sell OrthoVisc and MonoVisc globally in the United States. It's recognized as a J&J MyTech product, which is why a lot of people in the U.S., they know OrthoVisc and MonoVisc for sure. They have, you know, those two products hold number one market share position in the visco supplement space in the United States. In Europe, Annika sells those products. So there's a little bit more brand recognition around those products outside the United States. But I would say back in the you know, mid to late 2018 timeframe, the company really started to look at our strategy, understand where we wanted to take the company, recognize that we had a very, very strong franchise in the Visco supplement space. We had a product that we were selling outside the United States called Singal, that is a combination hyaluronic acid steroid, triamcinolone hexacetonide product that has some of the most amazing OA pain data that I've seen in the space over many years. And we are working to bring that product into the United States. So there was innovation there in the osteoarthritis pain management side of the business, but we also had other products in development like a regenerative rotator cuff patch based on the hyaluronic acid platform, a cartilage repair technology, again, based on the hyaluronic acid platform called Hylofast. Again, a product we sell in over 35 countries, OUS, bringing it to the market through a clinical trial in the United States today. But there was an understanding that we had these great products that were really focused in the joint preservation area and an opportunity to do a lot more. We had good cash on the balance sheet, a great pipeline that was really focused in joint preservation. So we really pivoted the company through two acquisitions, Parkus Medical and Arthur Surface. Parkus Medical being a sports medicine company and Arthur Surface being a, a joint, like an early stage implant joint solutions company, primarily focused on extremities. And by doing that, we ended up with a company that has really four pillars in that joint preservation space, osteoarthritis pain management, regenerative solutions with another product, Tactiset, that's in the bone area that Annika was also developing, sports medicine, and then early stage joint replacement focused on extremities and a sales force so that we now sell those joint preservation products directly into the United States. So it was really transformative. It was focused around driving a growth strategy with a focus on the ASC all of this got done in early 2020, right before COVID hit. Okay. So I'm looking at your website now. I see five pillars. I see about roughly 20 products. We're not going to go over every single one of them, but I want to back up a bit about regarding OrthoVis and, and the relationship with J&J. How did J&J acquire the rights to that? Is it only in the U.S.? And do they have permanent rights or is there an expiration date coming up? They have had those rights in the U.S. since the products launched and J&J will keep those rights for as long as they want them. So okay. they, they are our marketing partner in the U.S. Singal is not something that they have rights to. So that is a product that Annika is developing itself. 
Is that an unusual, I mean, in med tech, certainly you see it a lot more in pharma, but having a partnership like that with someone who's selling one of your major products in a field where you also have products, is it an unusual relationship? I don't know if it's unusual. I will say that there are other companies that sell Visco supplement products that didn't develop them and have partnered with other folks. Okay. In fact, most of the bigger companies that sell those products got them from somewhere else. And I think for Annika's history, at the time that those products were being launched, it made the most sense to partner for sales and marketing because Annika had no sales presence. So I think it's more historical, but look, going forward, we've got really exciting products that are, are driving a growth strategy. And in the meantime, that relationship with J&J is a very good one for Annika. So if we were to describe your whole portfolio, or at least assign it to a category, is it all some sort of ejectable material that is going to replicate cartilage? And is there one descriptor for your entire portfolio? Do you have the, any different things? There really isn't. It's the, the descriptor is around joint preservation. You know, okay. our vision is to be a, the global leader in joint preservation solutions that restore active living. And we're really focused on providing those meaningful advancements in early intervention orthopedic care. So if you think about the injectables, orthovisc, monovisc, singal, that's in the OA pain management space. Then in the regenerative category, we have Tactoset, which is an injectable settable bone void filler that also is based on a hyaluronic acid that allows it to be flowable and has really great handling characteristics. That gets used for insufficiency fractures and also is used for augmenting hardware, so suture anchors. Okay. On the sports medicines, and, and also in regenerative, we have Hylofast and cartilage. We've got the rotator cuff patch that's being developed and we're looking to launch next year. Then in the sports medicine space, we, ha we actually have more than 20 products across the company. We just don't highlight all of them. We have a full portfolio of sports medicine, soft tissue fixation products. We just launched a new one called X-Twist that is primarily used in, in shoulder and lateral row procedures, but is also used across all other joints. And then on the implant side, so think metal and plastic, primarily focused on extremities, through the Arthrosurface acquisition, we have foot and ankle implants, we have shoulder implants, and in fact, we are just now launching Revo Motion, our new reverse shoulder system okay. that pairs up nicely with our anatomic shoulder system, Ovo Motion, that's been in the market for many, many years. So it's really kind of that early continuum of care in joint preservation that we are covering. Interesting. So looking at the injectables for joint preservation, I'm curious, how do you view that market? If the orthopedics, if the large joint orthopedics market is a pie, is yours sort of a segment of a pie? Do you have a small subset of that population that would be a patient eligible for using your product? Or is your, your market actually a pizza? Like, you, you're, like you're hitting those people and another larger circle out, outside of that. Absolutely. One of the things that this transformation did for Annika back in 2018, 2019, we basically had an addressable market of about a billion dollars, which is primarily the visco supplement market in the U.S., a bit O.U.S. We, in our transformation now into the regenerative sports med and early intervention implant space, have expanded our addressable market from that $1 billion to now an $8 billion wow. TAM. So it really gives us a much, much broader view and accessibility of the market globally. Interesting. So let's talk about the acquisitions again. Let's drill a little more down. So the arthrosurface acquisition. Is that 
the first real hard metal implants you've brought into the company. And I apologize if you've, if you've stated previous ones, but did that represent a seismic change to your business? It did. And we, we actually did the Parkus Medical and Arthur Surface acquisitions. They closed within weeks of each other wow. in early 2020. So that was the... That <laughs> Great was time a to pretty, close the deal. <laughs> Holy moly. It was an interesting time to, to begin that journey for the company. No, no, obviously, no one would have known what was coming in the next few weeks after that. But sure. that was the first step for the company to take into the hardware space, both on the sports medicine, suture anchor side and on the implant side. Yes. What were the challenges like incorporating new personnel, new products during that time when many people weren't even going into the office? I mean, how did you manage all that? Well, it it is a good question. And it's a little hard to stay away from the the dynamic that we were all living in because we closed those acquisitions in early 2020 to both of them within weeks of each other had, you know, big integration plans and I, I mean, weeks later, the quarantines hit and everybody was home. So we had to get creative about how we were going to integrate. And I think we did get creative about how we were going to integrate. I think from the corporate side, we had a, a lot of integration plans around systems, processes, people, the, you know, the usual integration activities. And those are really execution oriented. And we were able to move through those really well, even with people remotely. I think it was the softer side of the get to know you and the get to trust you aspect of that, which now that we're back in person, we've we've been able to do a lot more of. I would say from a, the Salesforce perspective, what we did was take the opportunity to train everybody. Part of our thesis was that we we were bringing these folks together on the sales side in the U.S., and that we would be cross-training them across the, the products from all three companies for them to now sell a fuller bag. Mm-hmm. And so we took the opportunity to train them, but it was a tough go from the perspective that those folks couldn't get in front of doctors. You know, it wasn't like the bigger companies that could just return their business once everything started opening up again, it was very difficult for us to actually get in front of customers, Mm. get in front of the VAC committees, you know, all the things that you would do to sell product. We are are seeing a lot more traction around that today, but that was one of the things that was very difficult for us during the kind of acute phases of of the pandemic. Oh, I believe it. My goodness. So what does Annika look like Five years from now, is this a trajectory that you're going to continue building on? Do you see more acquisitions? Do you move into different joints? What is the long-term strategy here? Yeah, it's a great question. The long-term strategy is is obviously around continuing to build shareholder value by executing on this focus on the joint preservation space. And in the longer term, bringing Hylofast and Singal into the U.S. market, those are very significant growth opportunities with over a, a billion dollar addressable market in the U.S. alone with those things. In the meantime, we continue to launch great new products. We just launched X-Twist, our new sports med soft tissue fixation product, RevoMotion in the reverse shoulder. We've continued to expand our Tactisat franchise. We have a rotator cuff patch I mentioned that we'll be launching next year. So new product development is continuing to be a significant part of ensuring that we're launching products with real unmet needs that are being addressed. 
We will continue on focusing around commercial execution, especially with our sales force in the United States, but we sell many of those products outside the United States. And I just came back from our OUS distributor meeting that we had in London and a lot of excitement around products. They, they actually sell products outside the US that we don't yet sell in the United States. So continued execution around this growth story. Obviously, capital deployment is always a topic. We have cash on our balance sheet and we continue to look for tuck-in opportunities where they, they may look good and, and be a good fit in the bag and the call point that we're currently developing. Continuing to focus on our ASC strategy, which was a big shift that happened even more quickly during COVID than I think anybody anticipated it would. And our product portfolio is really focused on working in that care setting. So that's another area that we'll continue to focus on with our growth strategy. Do you see a large joint addition to your portfolio? being part of the plan or is that a different business altogether? I don't see that today. You know, I think there are a lot of companies that do a really great job in the hip and knee space, and I will let them continue to do that. We do have a significant focus on the shoulder and specifically around the full continuum of care of rotator cuff pathology. So that really takes us from X-twist to tactoset to our patch to Revo motion being able to treat that full continuum of rotator cuff pathology. So from a a joint perspective, the shoulder is something we focused on. I don't see us focused on large joints in the hip and knee space. Okay. And just final question. I'm I'm curious as to the demographics of, of orthopedic patient population in that we're seeing more younger people, younger patients getting orthopedic treatments, getting implants. It's less something that's being held off for their people's later years, something that they're doing earlier to kind of restore their lifestyle and their mobility. Is that a benefit for you? Is that a headwind or a tailwind for you? Because I imagine like the first line of intervention would be one of your products before someone would go for a knee. So does that open up opportunity for you or are those bigger joint companies actually coming in and and taking a piece of your business because people are more receptive or more open to having large joint implants? I think the the focus on people not wanting to be in pain and probably being more and more demanding about that is a good dynamic for us and for the big companies. I think one of the things that people learned during the pandemic was they figured out that they didn't like the fact that orthopedic surgeries were called elective. They were in pain and it didn't feel elective to them that they should have to wait six or nine months to have a surgery done. I think the fact that that we are focused on that early intervention space is a a huge tailwind for us because people are looking for less invasive, more regenerative solutions to make themselves feel better before they have to go to that large joint solution. So being able to avoid a total hip or a total knee and even a total shoulder is something that is very attractive to people, especially as they want to feel better and stay more active when they're younger. And younger probably is older than it used to be for many of us, (laughs) if we think about that. So yeah, I I think it's a great tailwind for us. And I think it's where a lot of patients are focused. I think patients are also focused on not wanting to go to the hospital. Hospitals are where sick people go. And being able to have a surgery in the ASC, go home that night and be able to do your rehab and convalesce at home is a very attractive thing for people. And this is really the space that we're focused on. What percentage of your businesses in the ASC? Is it most or? 
Majority? I, I would I would say it's most. It's not a number that we've put out there publicly. It is an, a number that is growing. I will say something we're being very purposeful about as we develop new products because there's a very specific financial structure that works in the ASC setting that doesn't work for every company that's developed implant systems that have you know five or six instrument trays that doesn't work in the ASC. So we've been very purposeful about how we develop our products to make sure they work from a logistics perspective and from a financial perspective in that setting. What's the uh, purchasing process? How is it different for ASCs than for, for larger hospitals? I imagine there are fewer committees. I also don't know how the economics come into play. Are you looking, are they more price sensitive than, than larger hospitals? How do you approach ASCs differently than you might a larger clinical hospital? Yeah, there, there do tend to be fewer kind of committee processes at an ASC, but they are definitely more price sensitive. They are yeah. much more financially driven institutions. They're often surgeon owned. So there's a, a different focus on pricing. So again, if you've developed your system so that their pricing constructs work, then you have a, a much easier conversation around bringing your products into that setting. The other piece of it, though, that's significant is on the logistics side. They have much smaller central processing for re-sterilizing instruments, for example. And if you have a five-instrument tray shoulder, the surgeon's going to be able to do maybe one or two cases that day. Whereas if you have a two-instrument tray system like our new Revo Motion system has, then they're more excited about using that product for the patients that it works on in the ASC setting. So, you know, not having the full revision and significant other elements of a full system that would drive five trays in the hospital setting. Those belong in the hospital. They're the right place for them, the more complicated patients. But the ASC patient population is going to be a less complicated population. And the ability to have a more simplified system really works in that setting. Great. Well, that was my actual final question. So I'm glad, I, I'm glad I had a chance to learn about Annika and it was great, great to meet you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about Annika. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Uh, Chris Newmar, actually, Danielle Kirsch, why don't you uh, share your social media contacts? And once again, we can tell folks where to find uh, information about the Mass Device Fast Five podcast. I'm on Twitter at Danielle underscore Kirsch, K-I-R-S-H. And the same name on LinkedIn. Great. And again, folks can subscribe to the Massive Fast Five on any podcast application. Just uh, search for that. And uh, and you'll, once again, we'll be receiving episodes on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week on the Device Talks Podcast Network. So this, if you're receiving, if you're subscribed to this podcast and you're getting Intuitive Talks, Striker Talks, et cetera, then, uh, then you'll get the Fast Five. But if you want to continue getting it after Friday, Make sure you go to Mastivice. You find Mastivice Fast Five on any podcast player, and they want they need to what Chris Newmarker get a like, follow, subscribe. Exactly, and then you'll get uh, you'll get that every uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday sent directly to you. Fast All right, Chris Five. Device talks West. <laughs> device talks weekly. Weekly. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do that again. Fast Five. Device talks weekly. There you go. All right. <laughs> Chris Newmarker, where are you on social media? They can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, like a new marker. Great. I'm on LinkedIn as well, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. Uh, please do subscribe if you haven't already to the Device Talks Podcast Network. You can, uh, if you do that, you'll get the Device Talks Weekly Podcast, Intuitive Talks, Striker Talks, 
Boston Scientific Talks, which is going strong, and Abbott Talks, I mentioned earlier, will be coming out uh, later in June and uh, more to come. So uh, hope to keep, keep that network growing. And of course, you can subscribe to the Medtronic Talks podcast. It has its own podcast channel. If you want to uh, catch that interview that I did with uh, Q Delar, the head of diabetes at Medtronic. All right. Well, uh, that is a wrap. I think we've covered everything, right? We got Device That's Talks it. West happening uh, in October, October 18th and 19th, but nothing really to, to tout there yet. But keep your ears and eyes open and uh, have a wonderful uh, Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Hope you find some, uh, some peace and quiet. Yeah. Enjoy the Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Happy summer.